Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So we're starting our new series today. Uh, it's called New. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking into the book of Galatians, which is quite a small letter in the New Testament, but packed full of fantastic uh, stuff to encourage us. And I thought we'd begin today by uh, watching just the introduction. The guys at the Bible Project do a fantastic job of actually taking the Bible and making it really accessible through video. So we're going to watch a little introductory video for these guys for a couple of minutes, explaining the background to this book, because they say it much better than I do. Here we go. Paul's letter to the Galatians. It was written to a number of churches in the region of Galatia where Paul had traveled on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the stories in the book of Acts. He wrote this important letter from a place of deep passion and frustration. Here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread beyond Israel. By Paul's time as a missionary, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jewish people in the Jesus movement, and this sparked a huge debate that we know about from the book of Acts chapter 15. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches. They were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians. And so many of them were. And when Paul found out, he was brokenhearted and angry. And this letter is the result. He first challenges the Galatians with his summary of the gospel message about the crucified Messiah. He then argues that this gospel is what creates the new multi-ethnic family of Jesus and Abraham. And then he shows how this gospel is what truly transforms people by the presence and power of the Spirit. Okay, so a quick introduction then for you for the context of the letter. So Paul has planted these churches in Galatia, and he now oversees them remotely by writing to them and sort of supervising them at a distance. And when he finds out these, uh, these leaders have infiltrated the church and trying to get the people to add things to the gospel of, of Christ, he's really upset, and he writes this very forceful and quite dramatic letter uh, that you've got in your Bible called Galatians. So you need to understand that lots of these letters are in the New Testament. If you don't know, they're often called the name of the church or the region they're written to. So Romans was written to... No, it wasn't written to Romans. <laughs> it was written to the church in Rome. Okay? So that's where it was written to. Uh, where, do you think this, where do you think this was written to? It's just said on there. Galatia. The church is in Galatia. Okay? Where was Timothy written to? It was written to a man called Timothy, wasn't it? So your, your New Testament is full of these letters. Sometimes they're called the name of the church or the region they were written to. Sometimes they're called the name of the person they were written to. And incredibly confusingly, some of them are called the name of the person who wrote them. Okay, so if you, it pays to do a little bit of study around your New Testament and understand why these strange words are in there. Ephesians is written to the church of Ephesus. Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth. But Timothy, written by Paul to Timothy. 1 John 2, John 3, John, written by John. So these different letters, we call them epistles, confusingly, which means letter. 
The church does make things complicated sometimes, doesn't it? But these letters are all in your New Testament, and they're all there, written by the apostles, to encourage the different churches or people uh, that are busy planting churches or spreading the gospel uh, in the New Testament age. So back to Paul then. He's written this letter around about AD 50, only 30 years or so after Christ has risen. And uh, there's already problems in the Galatian church because people are trying to add things to the gospel of Christ. And Paul's main concern is this sort of social and racial division that is coming up between Jews who become Christians and new Gentile believers, non-Jewish background believers, who are coming together in the church in Galatia. And he hears this add to the gospel, trying to make people observe the Jewish rituals that they grew up with to make them proper Christians, proper followers of Jesus. They were called uh, Judaizers. They They were people who were trying to make people more Jewish, even though they were Gentile. And Paul gets really, really upset about this. You you can feel the gravity in the first part of the letter, which we'll read uh, in a moment. And you might think, well, Jewish rituals and circumcision, all these things, these aren't, aren't, that anything added to the gospel makes the gospel not the gospel. Jesus plus anything is not Jesus. Okay, and that's the main message that comes out in the first part of this letter to the Galatians. So we're going to begin by reading from verses 1 through to 24, okay? So if you read with me or look at your, um, look at your devices or even the screen. So let's, uh, let's go from there. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we've preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, Let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son into me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the church of Judea there in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. In this first section, we hear Paul's intense passion 
And he's doing two things. He's basically trying to bring the people back to the original gospel that he preached and communicated when the church was planted. But also, he's also trying to reveal to them his credentials for being able to speak to them in this way. The, the person Cephas mentioned there is, is probably Peter, because Cephas means rock uh, and in Aramaic. And so that person Cephas is probably Peter that uh, Paul was referring, referring to the person he spent 15 days with. Perhaps the most striking aspect of this opening letter is Paul's tone. He's angry, he's frustrated, he's emotional. And uh, we get to understand why uh, in this verse here. I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. So he's, he's emotional because these young Christian believers are being taken off course by a different gospel, a gospel that has no power to change, a gospel that has no power to transform, a gospel that isn't really a gospel at all. And he's frustrated that these leaders, these false leaders are perverting the gospel which he communicated. He says that in verse 1-7. He calls down a curse, God's curse upon them. You hear the strength of his tone here as he, uh, as he writes this letter. He's not pulling any punches. He's anxious, he's angry that the gospel should be subverted in this way. And he's, he's like a father who sees a young child wander off towards danger and he's trying to call his children back to the safety of the gospel. He's his authority. You know, what authority does he have to speak to the church in this way? He says, well, I'm an apostle. Uh, I was not sent from man or by man, but by Jesus Christ. And if you know Paul's story, Paul didn't receive his apostolic commission through a person. He received it through the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Because Paul was formerly Saul, and Saul was going around zealously persecuting the new Christian church, believing he was doing God's will. And Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and confronted him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he had this dramatic encounter where he was blinded and then three days later was healed and began to preach the gospel of the risen Christ. So Paul is what we call an apostle with a capital A. Okay? He's an apostle with a capital A because he met and encountered and was taught by Jesus. Most of the apostles, the 12 apostles, they encountered Jesus while he walked the earth before he went to the cross. But Paul encountered Jesus in his risen form. So we have 13 capital A apostles in Scripture. Now we also have small A apostles like Barnabas who was sent by God to different parts of the church. But he wasn't taught by Christ and he didn't encounter the risen Christ in the same way. So he's what we call a small A apostle. It's quite helpful to know this because we often talk about the apostolic in in the church today. There aren't any capital A apostles going around today, guys. There are only small A apostles, okay? Sent ones of God. Anyone who is sent somewhere by God has that sort of small a apostolic title. But there are no capital A apostles left. And the capital A apostles are the ones who wrote these letters and had scriptural authority to do so. So Paul's saying, that's who I am. I'm a capital A apostle, and I can tell you the gospel I carried and brought to you is the real gospel. And that's why he's getting emotional as he writes to this church in Galatia. And he says, even if an angel should appear and start preaching a different gospel, well, kick him out. Because nothing can be added to the gospel that I brought you. He said, even if I started preaching a different gospel, kick me out. Because the gospel I brought to you is the real, true gospel. And so it's worth, at this point, trying to think about what is the gospel. What is the gospel that Paul was so 
passionate about. He encapsulates it in verse 4. He says, Lord, The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. That's the gospel in a nutshell, right there. This is the gospel that Paul is so fiercely protecting. The word rescue implies that you and I and the Galatians were helpless and lost. Other religious leaders came to teach, but Jesus primarily came to rescue. Jesus came to rescue you and to rescue me. And many people think Christianity is about following the teaching of a moral leader. It isn't. The heart of Christianity is about being rescued by a saviour. In fact, it's impossible to follow the teachings of Jesus without first being rescued by him. I'll say that again. It's impossible to follow the teachings of Jesus without first being rescued by him. Think of it this way. If you're walking along the seafront in Winstable, down by the harbour, and you saw somebody out in deep water, and they were clearly struggling, and they were going down for the third time, and they were drowning, you wouldn't throw them a manual saying, teach yourself to swim. Would you? Hopefully you wouldn't. You'd throw them a life ring. You'd throw them a rope. You'd throw them something that could rescue them from their situation. And Paul reminds us in this book that we were all drowning without Christ. We were all drowning without Christ. We were in a a desperate, desperate situation. We were helpless and lost. And Jesus begins by rescuing us because that's our greatest need. Our greatest need is to be rescued from our sins and from this present evil age. You see, there's nothing you or I could do to rescue ourselves. And that is offensive because we like to think we can bring something to the party. We like to think we can bring something to the gospel. But the reality is there's nothing you and I could do to rescue ourselves. Jesus is the rescuer. He says he gave, And that word there, it means in place of or on behalf of. Jesus came and gave himself on behalf of you, in your place. It's like he got down into the water and he helped you out and he drowned in your place. That's what the imagery is here. And Jesus' death on the cross, it deals with the sin that was drowning us once and for all. That's what the power of the cross we sang about this morning in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus made that decision to go to the cross. Jesus is the rescuer. And all this was done out of God's grace. I'm going to offend you this morning. There was nothing attractive about you that God wanted to save. There was nothing God needed in you that he needed to add to himself or the gospel. He didn't think, oh, she's a nice one, he's a nice one. They deserve saving. They're nice. They've done some nice things. Said some nice things. So I'll, I'll save them. It's all by the unmerited favour of God, it says in the scriptures. There we go. According to the will of God, our Father. All according to grace. We didn't ask for the rescue. Often we don't even realise that we're drowning. But God comes and sends his son, Jesus Christ. It was his plan. And he achieved the rescue that you and I so desperately needed, but we could never do ourselves. That's the heart of the gospel. Nothing in you or I merited Jesus' actions. Nothing. Sheer grace. And this is Paul's gospel. This is what he's so passionately trying to to protect and trying to communicate to the church in Galatia. 
Salvation from first to last is a work of God's grace. It's the work of God's grace. And that's incredibly humbling, but that's the, that's the truth that lies at the heart of Christianity. I want to pause and just help us to reflect on this because sometimes we think actually, in some way, like these guys in Galatia, we actually need to add something to the gospel or we, or we brought something to the gospel or we, we were the nice one. That's why God set his affection on us. Or, but none of that is true. It says in Romans 6, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless. We could do nothing to save ourselves, yet Christ died for us, the ungodly ones. And even if you were raised in a Christian household or you grew up around church or religion, it didn't mean you were any less ungodly. You just might have meant you were slightly religious. You still need the rescue, the same as any person needs the rescue. Your, your sort of Christian heritage didn't qualify you in some way for a better place at God's table. It's still by sheer grace that God comes. I think one of the biggest challenges we face today with modern Christianity is that people don't like the thought of needing rescue. Culture tells us we need to get our acts together. You know, we need to get ourselves sorted, get ourselves organized. We need to be independent thinkers. We need to have all these things in our lives that help us do life better. The thought of needing rescue is quite offensive. So rather than being in the water drowning, we see ourselves as sauntering down the beach with our friends. And Jesus walks up and kind of joins the club. And we invite him in and he's now part of our lives and he's now another thing that we add into our lives. Or perhaps he's like an app you download onto your smartphone that makes your life easier. You know, it's just another app we can have and he helps us do life better and we, we can turn him on and off when we need him. He's none of those things. He is the rescuer who comes and plucks us from the situation we've so desperately found ourselves in. We'd much rather save ourselves if the truth be known. We'd much rather be our own saviours. That appeals to the human spirit. Our hearts love to manufacture glory for ourselves, so we like to be able to save ourselves, save ourselves from our predicament. Self-salvation is much more attractive than Christ to many people. Christ is a stumbling block. And so you might find self-salvation in secular messages. You know, do this, uh, simplify. Uh, you know, you need to simplify your life, organize your life. Do this, do that, get this sorted, put this in place. Eat right, exercise right, mindfulness, you name it. Self-salvation is out there in a myriad of different ways. Or maybe it's self-salvation in a religious way. You need to follow these rules, listen to this person, have these spiritual behaviors. Perhaps salvation will come that way. Do this and you'll be on God's inside track. Follow this person, go to this meeting. You'll be one of the spiritual elite. But the gospel comes and turns all these self-salvation messages on their head. Because there's nothing you can do to add to the gospel. There's nothing you can do to rescue yourself. You might remember this slide I used in the series at the start of the year. It wasn't by accident. Great love. The great love is the great rescue. It's the great rescue for all of us. It's the essence of the gospel. And this is the gospel that these false leaders have been perverting in the Galatian church. 
And Paul says any gospel that is an added gospel or a changed gospel is no gospel at all. It doesn't have the power to rescue the way Christ does. And so anytime you try and add to the gospel or improve the gospel, then the gospel doesn't become the gospel anymore. In fact, it becomes no gospel. Every other religious system says you do this, you do that, you work this hard, you behave this way, and you will get acceptance from God, and God will love you, and you'll be with God. The gospel says you have nothing to offer, now or ever. Okay? Nothing to bring to the party. All you have is to be able to reach out for that ring of God's grace and receive the work of Christ on the cross. Because any time we try and add to the gospel, we pervert it, we contaminate it, we change it. Just as these guys were saying, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow Jewish tradition, you need to do this, you need to do that. If you do these things, well, you'll be a better Christian. You'll be actually truly accepted by God. Because at the moment, God kind of doesn't really love you or, or care for you because you've not done all the things you need to do to fulfill that mandate. Any other gospel is no gospel at all. So at the heart of the gospel, we reach, we're powerless in this sea and we reach for this ring of the cross and we receive the grace of God. And it's this that makes us a new creation in Christ, as the scripture says. We become new creations in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. Not through anything that we've done. We've merited none of this. It's all by the grace of God. Imagine you're in the water and you're drowning, you're going down for the third time, and someone throws you the ring. And you go, uh, hang on a minute, I just need to find you a bit of loose change to pay for that. Let me just dig deep. Hang on, I've got some coins, the pound notes are a bit wet. But yeah, you're digging deep for some money to pay the person who's throwing you the ring. Or perhaps you think, hang on, I'm a, I'm a bit messy, I just need to straighten my hair out, make sure when I'm rescued I look right. So I'll just spend a bit of time on my appearance, making sure that when I do come out of the water, onto the quayside I'm looking a bit better. Or perhaps you think, actually, I don't want to take that ring because it shouldn't make me look stupid. You know, I didn't, shouldn't have been in the water in the first place. I'd rather just stay here, actually, because all my friends are going to be embarrassed. I'll be embarrassed when I go up there and I'm all wet and sort of bedraggled and half-drowned. Or perhaps you say, actually, no, I'd rather not take the ring. There's a better thing coming along in a moment for me. There's a speedboat or there's a catamaran or something else who's going to come and rescue me. You know, I'd rather be rescued in a better fashion than through the cross of Christ. This is the problem, isn't it? Because this is the stumbling block of Christianity. It says to you and it says to me, you are in a hopeless situation, you need rescue. And that is offensive to our flesh. We'd much rather make our own way out of the water. We'd much rather save ourselves. But anything that does that makes your performance the saviour and not the person of Jesus Christ. Your performance can never, ever save you. It never will save you. God will never accept you any more than he does today. You could plant a million churches over the face of the earth. You could witness to a million people. And God would not love you anymore. You would not add one jot to the gospel of Jesus Christ by doing those things. So you're not saved by your behavior. You're not saved by being a nice person. You're not saved by being a good person. You're not even saved by being a loving person. You're not saved by religious practice or observances or anything that these false teachers in Galatia were saying needed to be added to the gospel 
to make it a true gospel. There's nothing you can bring, nothing you can do. Nothing the gospel needs from you to make it the gospel. And this is the heart of the message that Paul was trying to convey to the church in Galatia in AD 50. Jesus, is, Jesus isn't like a friend who comes and makes your life better. He, he's not an app you can turn on and off when you want to. Jesus is something completely different in your life. He, the risen Jesus, he speaks to the church in the book of Revelation. And he says this in Revelation 3. These are quite powerful words. He says, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you don't realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And this is the risen Jesus speaking to the church. And he's saying, guys, this is your condition. You think you're all that, but actually you're actually none of those things. And your dependency is still utterly upon me. I'm the only source of life and love and you can encounter. If you go anywhere else, it's not going to address your needs. You're naked, you need clothing, you're blind, you need healing. This is the heart of the gospel. Our real condition when Jesus comes to us is we're wretched and we're blind and we're naked. And Jesus reaches down and he rescues us. And he makes us rich in God and he clothes us in white and he gives us ability to see in a way like we've never seen before. And so the gospel is only the gospel if we can't add anything to it, if we can't pervert it, if we can't contaminate it with our stuff. Because Jesus is making everything new. He's making everything new. He's making you new. He's making me new. He's making the church new. He's making creation new. And that is the power and the truth of the gospel. And Paul spends the rest of this section of the letter just giving you his credentials. He was the man who was intensely trying to destroy the church. He was zealous. And he was zealously trying to destroy the church because he believed that was the best thing to do. That he was working for God. And Christ came and changed him from Saul to Paul. And we forget sometimes that, that pre-Christian Paul was so violent, he was so violent, even seeing the stoning of an early disciple had no effect upon him. In fact, he supervised that stoning, that brutal death of Stephen in the book of Acts. He supervised it. He believed he was doing God's will. And by the time Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul would have killed or supervised the killing of many early Christians. He was on his way to arrest more and imprison more and do more of what he felt was the work of God. He was filled with hate. Filled with hate. And yet Paul was also a man who'd done so much religion. He spent years and years living according to Jewish tradition and custom. He said, of my own age, I was the most zealous, I was the most morally righteous. He was not only a, a a man full of hate, he was a man full of pride because he believed he followed every single religious custom he needed to to be right with God. And now he's had this encounter with Christ and now he sees these people in Galatia trying to get the gospel bent out of shape by following Jewish custom and tradition 
And Paul says, I've been there. I've done that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't bring the transformation that Christ brings. Following these customs, these religions, these practices isn't going to make you more acceptable to God. I've been there. I've done that. Before meeting Jesus, Paul was the most religious rule keeper you could ever meet. He was zealous for the things of the Jewish custom. But he didn't produce the change in his heart. And so Paul says, look at me, if you want to see the reality of the gospel. Look at my life. Look what happened to me, if you want to believe the gospel is authentic and true. So the gospel is a gospel of grace. It's the free, unmerited favour of God given to you and I. Paul was a man steeped in religion and steeped in hate. But the gospel still came and made the difference in his life. See, no one is so good that they don't need the gospel. And no one is so bad that the gospel can't reach them. It doesn't matter whether you are a religious zealot or you've committed the the worst crime. The gospel is still the gospel that comes and rescues. And now Paul says, I live for a different reason. I'm now trying to win the approval of God, not man. He's he's writing and saying, "I'm, I'm not trying to control you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to use my authority over you. I'm just trying to live in a way that pleases God. And Paul begins to show us right at the start of this letter, and we'll see more as we go on, that the way in is the way on. Sometimes we assume as Christians that the gospel is just for for non-believers or or new believers. But actually the gospel is mainly for us as believers. We live from the heart of the gospel. Sometimes we think actually we need to move on or graduate past Jesus to more the deeper things of God. You will never, ever graduate past Jesus. You will never find someone greater, some deeper truth or bigger revelation. He's the beginning and the end. The fullness of God is found in him. And Paul says, the gospel is the handbook for Christian life. To live from that reality of knowing that we're rescued, utterly dependent on God. Is the starting point for the newness that God puts in us. So the gospel is not only the way to enter the kingdom, it's the way to live in the kingdom. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks as we unpack this book. We're going to look more at the gospel of Christ and see how our identity, how we're changed, how we're transformed, and how we live in the newness of that. Because the gospel, it transforms people, it transforms churches, it transforms communities, it gives you a new identity. It gives you a new family. It gives you a new security. It gives you new significance. It gives you new... It just changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And so we become these new creations in Christ. So I'd encourage you over the next few weeks, why not read the book of Galatians? It's only a short book. It's a really easy book to read. These letters were designed to be, to be read in their entirety not just often in sections as we do in church. So I want to try and read Galatians a few times uh, over the next few weeks as we look at it and just get into the heart of Paul. Here's Paul writing to the church he loved dearly, saying, don't, don't lose sight of the gospel. 
Don't lose sight of who Jesus is and what he's done. He's the one who's rescued you from your sins. He's the one who went in your place and has created everything new in you and begin to live from that gospel again. And if you've been a, a believer a long time, try and find the gospel afresh in you. Because it's just as acute today as it was the day you received it. And it might have shocked you today to learn God didn't save you because he liked you, or you haven't added anything to the gospel. But the reality is, you're the one who needed rescuing. I'm the one who needed rescuing. And that is the beauty and the truth of the gospel that we live in. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.